But when you're working with the subconscious mind, setting a goal and having a plan can be a bit like rowing a rowboat in one direction. If you've got a submarine beneath the water pulling you by a string in the opposite direction, the best plan in the world ain't going to get you there. You can row as hard as you like and it's not going to get you there. So what we do is use NLP techniques to help steer the submarine. The first thing is to be aware of the ways in which it's pulling in the other direction. The next is to get really clear on the direction I want to pull it in. Welcome to Weighing In on Happy, the only podcast that dives deep into discussions around weight, eating disorders, mental health, body image, intuitive eating, wellness, confidence, and so much more. Each week, you'll be coached through different stories and strategies on how to start living your best life today. So if you're ready, here's your host, Victoria Evans. This episode of Weighing In on Happy has been brought to you by my 90 Days to Food Freedom one-on-one coaching program. This is my signature coaching program helping you stop food fear, guilt, and sabotage so that you can eat effortlessly and intuitively. If you're curious to learn more, I invite you to book a free consult call at www.calendly.com forward slash Victoria Evans forward slash 30 minutes. That'll be below for you in the show notes. I hope to hear from you and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Weighing and On Happy. I'm Victoria Evans, a science-based intuitive eating coach, and I'm joined today by Dr. Victoria Staglum. Victoria is a psychologist, hypnotherapist, and NLP master coach. She specializes in how to harness the power of your subconscious mind to make more brilliant things happen in your life. So welcome to the podcast, Victoria, and great name, and excited to have you here. Oh, thank you for being here. I want first for you to tell a little bit about yourself, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the topic for today. But we're going to be going into a little bit around unconscious mind, confidence, and how that relates to how you, you know, you really show up in the world. Before we dig into that, who are you? (laughs) I'm Dr. Victoria Stakeland. <laughs> you already said that. Um, so I, gosh, where to begin? Mm. I was an errant youth. I was off the rails. I came good, learned about NLP, had a really big corporate career in leadership where I was often the only woman and on average 15 years younger than my peers. So I was an executive shareholder in my mid-30s. I was a deputy chief executive before I was 40. Um, You know, I'm I'm considered a bit of a success story professionally. And then I threw it all away and scampered off to rural Ireland to start my own business during lockdown of 2020, where I now live with the most beautiful dog in Ireland, three wonderful and challenging children, and my husband, on a lake with a polytunnel growing veggies and chickens and kind of good life life so yeah that that's me and that journey has been possible I think because of the things I was exposed to in the NLP space that's neuro-linguistic programming for people that don't know at the very beginning of my career and then my exposure to coaching only a few short years later which I then discovered decades later had underpinned this very successful career. And at the time I hadn't been aware of it. It was only later when I re-qualified as a psychologist, NLP master um, and coach, I was like, oh, oh, this is very familiar. I've been using this stuff my whole career that it's like I learned it in my very first job, buried it somewhere in the back of my mind and never realized that my success was because of these strategies I had available to me. Mm. So, what is NLP? Like, I know you said the acronym, but like, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? What is it all about? Okay, so 
neuro-linguistic programming. So the neuro part is about your, your neurology, the way the brain, the mind is wired. Um, the linguistic part is about how language creates our reality. So for example, in the work I do with clients, I, I often am able to help them see language patterns they are using that are completely constraining how they're experiencing their reality. And becoming aware of that and shifting it can have an extraordinary and profound effect on the level of success or happiness or confidence a person is experiencing. So linguistic refers to the way our linguistic patterns, processes and structures create what we experience. Um, and programming is really about how we reprogram those things. So it's about working with an individual or, or working yourself, if you're kind of applying these tools to yourself, to reprogram, rewire your habitual patterns of language and how doing so changes your reality. And to give you a fun fact on this, this stuff is powerful, right? We are exposed to 11 million bits of information in any given second. Shape, sounds, you know, everything in the world around us. The mind is only capable of actually experiencing about 130. So we go from 11 million to 130. The, the mind is like a big fat filtering machine and our language creates a lot of those filters. And when people talk about you create your reality, you know, many people roll their eyes and go, yeah, that sounds very woo. But that's how we do it. We do it in our psychology. We do it in our mind. And if you think about it, if you're filtering from 11 million down to 130, if my 130 are a very different 130 to yours, we're going to have a very different experience of life. And I think it's that which makes NLP so very powerful, is when you become aware of your language patterns and, fil patterns and filters, and make conscious efforts to shift them, your resultant experience can change quite dramatically almost overnight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say like your whatever you say becomes a blueprint. Yeah. Like, and it's it's so and I remember hearing like you're saying, like, you know, what you think matters, what you say matters. And I'd be like, oh my god, yeah. Or be really feeling cringy sometimes about some overly positive affirmation sometimes but like oh that's just like I don't believe that I love myself or I don't believe this but once you understand what's going on in your brain right like priming that reticular activating system the part of your brain that decides what's important the relevant information like what you're saying in terms of filtering it down and things that you're saying things you're repeating to yourself is what it tells your brain to focus on that's absolutely right although affirmations I think is a really interesting one because I work I kind of work across psychology and NLP and one of the kind of parallel challenges is that we have something called a critical faculty it's how we decide what we're watching on the news is true or nonsense propaganda and if you take someone who has very low self-esteem for example and invite them to say a daily affirmation mm -hmm. I love myself what will happen often is that their critical faculty will pop up and go no you don't yeah. You're an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, the consequences of that can be worse because then that person feels the lack of alignment, feels the gap, feels foolish saying that and kind of gives up on themselves. But again, there are really simple language strategies you can use to help with that. So, you know, if, if any of your listeners have are working with affirmations and feeling that no, you don't factor kick yeah. in, you can soften it by saying, I'm learning that I can love myself. Every day, it's becoming easier to love myself. So just by softening it, it removes that no-you-don't factor, which is the critical faculty popping up. 
And the other thing with NLP, I mean, I, I also am a master hypnotherapist. I don't use it as much as NLP, and I can talk about that and why. But NLP techniques and hypnotherapy techniques can lower the critical faculty so that you are more suggestible. That's effectively what hypnosis is. Um, so that you can re-imprint messages with, you know, obviously with integrity, with permission and working in partnership with your client to help shift unhelpful critical faculty. That's effectively what hypnosis does. Mm -hmm. And NLP sometimes works very consciously in a coaching type framework, but a lot of the NLP work I do works at the intersection of conscious and subconscious so if you know if we were working in NLP, you'd be completely present and aware. You'd know exactly what was going on, but the way we'd be using the techniques would be actually giving you access to your subconscious so that you could make deeper shifts. Mm. So it's quite fun. Let's pretend I am maybe someone like a profile of a listener in the sense of I'm someone I'm in my recovery journey or healing relationship with food. I'm at a point where I'm like, God, I still really hate my body. I don't like the way I look. I don't feel confident. I don't like what I see in the mirror. Using the approach of NLP, using if, if you want, um, like kind of hypnosis, like whatever you think, what would you say to that person? What would be something you could use to help them? So I think the first thing we would do would be to identify the stories that that person is telling about what beauty is, what it means, what it represents, or even what self-acceptance could look like. So, so I'll often start with where do you want to get to? How do you want to feel different? So we'd start there and probably explore, if I already felt brilliant about my body, what would be different? What would I be seeing that was different? What would I be hearing within my kind of mind's ear <laughs> that's different? What would I be saying to myself that's different? And what would I be feeling, physically feeling in my body that's different to what I would feel now? And we'd really go into detail within that. And then what we would, what I would generally encourage is, is for a person to start living from that place. So, so traditional coaching would often say, right, let's set a goal to get you there and let's make a plan so that you go through steps. And that can be super effective. But when you're working with the subconscious mind, setting a goal and having a plan can be a bit like rowing a rowboat in one direction. If you've got a submarine beneath the water pulling you by a string in the opposite direction, the best plan in the world ain't going to get you there. You can yeah. row as hard as you like. And it's not going to get you there. So what we do is use NLP techniques to help steer the submarine. The first thing is to be aware of the ways in which it's pulling in the other direction. The next is to get really clear on the, the direction I want to pull it in. Um, and then it's easier to remember than to create. So what I mean by that is rather than trying to create a visualization of my life when I have everything, we, and I often use something called timeline therapy to help with this. So this is using the, the mind's subconscious understanding of time to give people access to a different future. I can talk about more about that if that's helpful. But so we then use the timeline to remember that future that hasn't occurred yet rather than to visualize it. 
Okay, talk me through that more because I want to understand it. Yeah, okay. So if you picture your future in a line ahead of you, mm-hmm. and I say visualize a future in which uh, you, you, you've accepted your body, you feel happy in your skin, mm-hmm. then you're going to sit here and, and you're going to picture that future in front of you somewhere or you know maybe somewhere over to your right-hand side. People perceive time differently. That's one of the things we work with. But if, you, if I asked you to remember when you felt really easy in your skin, you would picture it in a different location. Your whole experience of that would, would be different neurologically, and the way you would engage with those pictures and sounds would be different. So going to after the completion of, of the event and then remembering it, does something different in your, your neurology and gives you access, access to something that shifts your energy in relation to that more powerfully than it feeling like it's off in the distance ahead of you. Um, so that's that's what I mean by and it. And it's easier. Mm-hmm. You know, if I ask you to call up a memory, it's easier for you to call up a memory than it is to kind of create a new picture. So by using techniques that help people remember a thing that hasn't yet happened, um, it gives their mind access to resourcefulness and, and belief and, an, and a kind of energetic space mm-hmm. that is more powerful often. Remember something that hasn't yet happened. Yes. Am I understanding that correctly? So you're imagining something from the past? No. Well, there is are just my brain. Yeah, no, I don't think it's your brain. It, it can be quite complex stuff. So um, it can be powerful to connect to a time when you did feel you know, right. tell me about the time before you fell out of love with your body and, and take yourself back to that time and really live into that. Right. So that's, okay, so that's like true you're, remembering. You're a kid, you know, you love your body because you don't care about it. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's an option. Yeah. So if you Not remember our about. conversation last night when yes. I asked you to take yourself back to a time when you felt real ease and playfulness, do you remember mm-hmm. that? Yes. So going into the past and remembering. So that's one way to connect with the energy, mm-hmm. the kind of success energy of where you want to be. But some people can't remember ever feeling that way, but they want to feel that way. So then what we do is using the timeline, actually, if you imagine your future is laying out ahead of you, rather than looking at that future from where you're sitting now, we actually float along and go past it and look back on it as if you, as if you are in the future looking back on your past. Mm. Does okay. That, does that make sense? So it's almost like we're walking forwards and then turning around and looking back. Exactly. I'm a very visual person. How to imagine it? Yeah. Like. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so we walk. We've walked into the future timeline. We've turned around. We're looking at our past, and we're what? We're looking at the point at which we got all of the things we've wanted to have, like feeling easy in our skin, feeling good about ourselves, feeling beautiful, mm-hmm. feeling enough. So we we walk. We go from now, we walk along into the future, past the point, you know, a year from now when we were, all of the things we wanted had come to pass, and we look back on it. And first we really kind of look at, gosh, what is that moment like when I'm looking in the mirror and I like what I see and I feel easy and good and I'm heading out and not having to put on four outfits because everyone looks horrible. Um, You know, I'm throwing something on and I'm stepping out the door feeling good. So we spend time looking back from this future position where we've turned around mm-hmm. and um, and in really kind of exploring what that's like. But in our neurology, what's interesting about that is what then happens is that 
looking from the future back to the moment it happened and back towards now, we start to experience a kind of shift in the kinds of things that become available to us because we're looking back on something that we achieved, even though we're still visualising it because it hasn't yet happened, we're looking back on it and noticing that the kinds of things that occurred in order for us to feel that way. And the other super powerful thing about that is we realise that if we can look back on it and experience it, it means it's inside of us. Right, it's, we can access it, it's we possible for us. It. And gotcha. anything we can access is inside of us. Mm-hmm. And, and that can really connect us up to the the possibility, the reality that I I have this, actually I am this, or I wouldn't be able to look back on it and experience it that way. So it's kind of like a simple thing, but it's not simple trying to explain it. Um, It's a simple thing, but it's so powerful to go through that exercise of really connecting to that space and realizing actually I, yeah, I can see that. I can feel what I will feel like when I have that. And in feeling what I feel like when I have that, I realize I'm feeling that, that feeling is real, that means I must have it, and that can be a powerful breakthrough moment for someone. Mm, that's so interesting. It's so interesting to think about that and kind of like try on that way of perceiving the world and seeing the world, and yeah, being like, that's successful to you. Like, what if I showed up as that version of myself? And, you know, something I always think about when it comes to conversations around self-talk or how you show up in the world is how often we think that we need to focus on the negative in order to change and fix it, right? Bad move, bad move. (laughs) Juicy topic. (laughs) Um, And I used to think, okay, well, I can't accept myself and I can't say, you know, I'm working on this thing in a very positive way because it felt delusional. It felt like if I accept myself for how I am, I'm giving up on myself and, and giving up on improving myself. And I could go off on a whole tangent on that, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so two things come up. The whole thing about thinking I have to work from the negative and I think you know in your line when you're dealing with food compulsions and things like that and kind of healthy relationship with food this this shows up a lot more broadly in NLP the subconscious mind cannot deal with negatives so if I say right now right I want everyone listening to not think about the big pink elephant. Yeah, ironic processes. Yeah. Think about pink yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to think about it in order yeah. to not think about it. Yeah. And sadly, the same is true of chocolate. Mm. I'm saying to myself, I mustn't eat the chocolate. All my brain is hearing is must chocolate. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, so it just bleeps it out. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's a really... Un- so we, we have to frame things in the positive in order to be able to use the reticular activating system, the big filtering machine to filter for the right things. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, I think, one thing that's really important for people to know. The other thing, and I think this is so interesting, is that we often think, when I complete my goal of losing a stone or going to the gym every day for a year or rehabilitating my eating habits, then I'll be able to feel good in my skin. Once I've got this, then I'll get that. And what I've learned and seen very powerfully is that it works the other way round. So to your point, it's once we allow ourselves to feel confident and easy in our skin, that we take the pressure off ourselves and are able to rehabilitate our habits. And in NLP, there's a model called 
Dilts neurological levels. It's a very elaborate Dilts, that's the guy that invented it. That's great. Um, (laughs) Robert Dilts. Neurological levels, but essentially the principle is we so often try and effect change at the behavioural level. And the behavioural level is your rowing boat. Mm-hmm. But real change only occurs when we work at the level of values, beliefs, identity. That's the submarine. And it's exhausting using willpower and effort to make change happen. Mm-hmm. So all of the work I do is about uncovering and then rewiring the values, beliefs, and stories we tell, identity stories we tell at the most deep subconscious level. Because when you do that, it's like a paradigm shift occurs and really everything can change in the blink of an eye. We might ask ourselves, does this serve me? So for example, does my um, brutal driving of myself to achieve or to go to the gym or to restrict my eating, for example, does it serve me? Yes, it keeps me healthy. I might say Mm. to myself, yes, it does. What we often miss is that we could achieve the same outcome in a far less brutal way. So we often justify our sort of sabotage traits Mm. under the guise of it's what makes me successful, it's what has me achieve, it's what keeps me trim, it's, you know. um, And and yes, it's true that it might be the thing driving that quote-unquote success, but if it's not making us happy as well, totally. it's it's a problem. And for every saboteur way of making something happen, there will always be a, a sort of wiser, more loving mm-hmm. thing to drive us. And, and you can almost simplify it to there are two forces that propel things forward in the world. There's love and, and there's fear. fear. Yep. <laughs> I know this one. Love or fear. Yeah. yeah. So if we are driving ourselves through fear, and that can be a great way to notice our stories, is to notice mm-hmm. the accompanying emotions, um, then there will be a better way. Mm-hmm. And fear is not a brilliantly healthy emotion to carry long term. No. That'll maybe get you a quick action, a quick something, but it's not sustainable. And like in the guise of like true or useful in terms of what you're telling yourself, how does it make you feel when you're telling yourself that narrative? Does it make you feel disempowered? Does it make you feel like you're failing? Because like that's coming from fear and that's going to not be a sustainable way to move forward in your life versus challenging that. And like you were saying with the self-talk around yet or like, and you know, gentle and kind of making it feel a bit more accessible instead of this like big broad or this big kind of affirmation statement that doesn't feel true to you yet. But does that more kind of you know, watered down version that's still positive, but maybe not as feeling, you know, way out of your scope. Um, does that make you feel like there's a possibility or a little bit of hope and like coming up from more of a space of love and like follow that one? Cause the fear one is going to keep you stuck. It's going to get you where you've always gotten. So like, let's try something different. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing with fear as a motivator. So I do a lot of work around values that can be very helpful. And often people's values are Mm fear-based. So for example, I might have a a value of financial abundance, but really what that's about is I've experienced scarcity and I know I don't want it. I'm fearful Mm -hmm. of being back there. That can be really problematic when it comes to creating success because what happens is the fear propels us a certain degree and then we forget the fear or the pain of where we were. So we start slipping and we slip, slip back, slip back. And then we're starting to get closer to where we used to be. And this shows up a lot in eating things and diet things as well. And 
and then we're remotivated. So what happens is we bounce from sort of rubbish to middling and back again in a, yeah. in a, in a loop. Happens mm-hmm. in relationships often, mm-hmm. happens in jobs. I hate my job, I change jobs, everything looks good for a while. And then somehow the same patterns keep emerging. Mm-hmm. Because what I haven't done is, is identify that that's a move away from value and instead create a move towards value for myself. Mm-hmm. Very difficult to create true move towards values if you're carrying negative emotions from the wounds of the past. So, for example, in the work I do, yes, we do things like create visions and work with our values, but we actually do that normally after quite a long process of release work first, because until you've cleared out all the old wounds you've been carrying and kind of healed them, the vision you create for yourself will be a vision utterly formed on the stuff you're still trying to run away from. Um, and it's not—it's actually not a brilliantly sustainable way to create success or to manifest, which is another kind of space that I might play in. Um, you're running away from something rather than running towards something. But when we, you know, if I were to set you the challenge of right, what are you running towards? For many people, that's a really difficult thing to frame. All they can really do is think, well, I know I don't want to be like I was back then, so that's the goal I'm going to set for myself. Whereas when you clear out the back then stories and emotions, all of a sudden this world of possibility opens up and people start allowing themselves to to envision things that two months before would have seemed too pie in the sky, too impossible, that they didn't feel worthy of. You know, people's value sets can change dramatically when you release the major negative emotions. So really interesting. Mm Someone's listening to this and they're like, oh, maybe I am running away from something instead of towards something. Mm. And my goals and my dreams in my life is not even consciously, but set up around that. What is something, is there a tool or an exercise or just something they can be looking for or observant of to identify what those stories might be that are, you know, coming up, holding them back, you know, consciously, subconsciously? Yeah. So I have a quiz. I have a handy quiz. Um, which effectively gives you a rundown of the way in which you might be blocked. If you suspect you're blocked, you normally are. This will help you diagnose where. So some people are carrying kind of thinking blocks. They have a lot of negative self-talk and stories. Other people are carrying emotional wounds. Um, Some people aren't carrying those things, but just aren't very good at motivating themselves or behaviorally are struggling to create new habits. And sometimes there's something a bit more vibrational, like we're not in alignment with our true calling or path that that can be one of the most common things now these things are all interlinked but the quiz will give you a quick rundown of you know what your biggest block might be and um a, a, a series of tips or tools for getting in on that particular block and starting to loosen it often there are steps you can take on your own that will help loosen and shift that Certainly there are some good resources resources and reading. I have an app that people can get a free trial on that can uh, give them access both to the quiz, to a bit of time with me, to some other resources that can help them. And um, I've also written a couple of articles on this kind of thing. But I think the first step is really to identify what are the ways in which I'm blocking myself and just kind of get some insight into that and then start taking a few steps to loosen that and for some people that will open up a lot for them some people need a bit more help 
in which case it's worth seeking out a specialist, you know, hit me up for a free call, (laughs) you know. The tricky thing is, if what you're dealing with is at the subconscious level, if you can get sight of it, there's often a lot you can do, but if it's hiding in a blind spot, or it's kind of, if it's energetic in nature, it can be a bit more tricksy. And, and by energetic in nature, that will often show up as um, swooping emotions that overwhelm you that you can't quite explain or understand. You know, one moment you're fine, the next minute you're just not fine and you're not quite sure what took you from A to B. They also often show up as physical issues. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds like the thing we went through last night. I had a session with uh, Dr. Victoria. Um, I was going to say Victoria, that sounds like me. It's Dr. Victoria. Um, <laughs> around like some stress I was having related to tax stuff and leaving Canada as a tax resident and like just getting anxiety about figuring out all this stuff and all this paperwork and all of it, whatever, all the rest of it. And it was just showing up as this like massive tightness in my chest. Yeah. And um, someone would mention the word tax and it would just like send me into this like, t- you know, shallow breathing and everything. So that feels like it's an energy thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we... Emotion is energy in motion, yes. right? It's energy that moves through us and it will often have a physical consequence. And learning to listen to that is so important because what happens if we don't learn to listen to those signs when they make themselves felt, they can become lodged and you know that they they can become kind of embodied chronic illnesses and things like that. It's really important to listen to your body. The concept of disease, you know, dis-ease, it's effectively the body giving you signals if you persistently ignore them, it will shout louder. Mm-hmm. And this shows up a lot <clears throat> for some of the clients I work with. By the time they get to me, you know, sometimes they've, they're have they being medicated for anxiety or depression or they've got chronic energy fatigue syndromes or things like this. And the issue is that, you know, the high pressure job was giving them the warning signals. They were getting the pains in the neck or the tightening in the chest or the, you know, the aches in the lower back. And they were battling through and pressing on until phew, all of a sudden one day they're, they're kind of fainting or, you know, they're wiped out and they're signed off of work for six months. It's like if we don't listen to the alarm signals, they get louder mm-hmm. and, and we will keep getting those messages. And whether you want to say it's the universe talking to us or our body or our higher self, it's really worth listening because mm-hmm. typically if we keep ignoring the message it's going to get louder it's going to get louder and, and we'll it, get through yeah it's like what is what is what is the message i'm being sent here and what action is being invited and it's really important i think to address those things when they're coming up totally absolutely and i know a lot of my work with people is understanding like yeah what are those messages in the sense of we often find ourselves numbing distracting and avoiding those messages because they feel like too much so we we use food as a way or exercise or control of food or calorie counting whatever that thing is to try to suppress and numb and distract and avoid from those messages but that doesn't mean they go away it just means the binging gets worse or you need more exercise to feel okay about like whatever that thing is yeah that is trying to shut down those messages versus being like oh my body is sending me a message and I shouldn't be running away from it, even though it can be scary sometimes. But listening to what our body's telling us, that's the only way we're going to heal and move through it. 
Absolutely. And it's interesting hearing you talk about that because I guess my kind of parallel space, I do a lot of work with professional women um, and often where it shows up is, is the work thing. So, you know, I feel like I hate my job. It would never occur to me in a million years to not do my job, to step out of it. So instead I numb out on Netflix every night. Maybe I have a glass wine. of wine every night. Um, and feel deeply depleted all the time now sometimes it's because i need to learn strategies to better boundary myself to have the tougher conversations to take action around the things that have me feeling so stressed and anxious and there's normally a a need to develop a strategy and perhaps push through the discomfort of applying that strategy in a supported way and within reason but sometimes it's just that i'm deeply misaligned but I can't admit that to myself because I've got a mortgage and kids and a you know a payment plan on a car and the thought of actually realizing my job is the source of deep soul dissatisfaction is too terrifying because if I admit it to myself I'm going to have to do something about it. Yeah. That's yeah. a tough one. The scary destabilizing questions that we love to run from but then like I think those messages get just get louder. Yeah. And for some people they get to the end of their life and they become so good at drowning out those messages, that noise. And then they wake up when they're whether you know 50, 60, 70 midlife crisis or later on they're like, "Wow, I I didn't do what I loved. I regret not doing this or that." And that's cuz yeah, they spent their whole life trying to avoid what they were trying to be told from their own body. Absolutely. That's scarier than listening to those messages is waking up and wondering what the ha- what happened? <laughs> where yeah. did my life go? Yeah, where go? did that go? Where yeah. did that go? And I think, yeah, often, like, sometimes I've noticed people call in the ending that they're not brave enough to make happen themselves. Like so they what, get fired. They get fired or they... Get sick. They, exactly. They get yeah. fired, they get sick, they get made redundant. Um yeah like something occurred and it you're happens. just like you're not taking action we're gonna do it for you yeah the universe yeah. will come in or, but it's not it's actually that you know they're kind of calling it in themselves yeah, by yeah, be, yeah. by either retreating so much that they're no mm. longer valued or by being a bit cranky with people or by mm. having such a poor sickness record that they're invited to the, you know that like we'd like to sub- invite you to leave <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. but it's like the subconscious calls in what it needs yeah and we'll keep trying to get a better yeah. outcome in su- this is the funny thing about the subconscious mind it's like it's really troublesome that everything it does is in service of us is in service of you like the inner critic it's trying to protect you it's trying to keep you in a very safe dull space it's often working on out-of-date information it's like a small child that you have to really work with in quite a specific way but everything the subconscious mind does is in service of our higher selves so you know, it's funny, my husband was due to go on a skiing trip uh, a few years back, quite a few years back now, and I know that he was a bit ambivalent about going, and he played a rugby game the weekend before he was due to fly and broke his hand, couldn't go on the ski trip, Mm. and we both said, he called it in, he didn't, he wasn't somehow able to just make the decision I'm not going to go you know his friends were counting on him a part of him wanted to go but a bigger part of him maybe felt guilty or felt he should be home with the kids or for whatever reason he wasn't aligned to it his subconscious made sure he's never had an injury in his life like that mm-hmm. um called it in so he couldn't go and you see people doing this yeah. you know not not meaning to so I think it can go one of two ways you either call in the outcome that you're terrified of consciously choosing 
which is often actually a happy accident that works out well, or you end up driving yourself into the ground in a much less helpful way and you know a more dysfunctional ending occurs. Or maybe worst of all, you stay in the job you hate for the next 40 years and yeah. you know die mm-hmm. regretting all of it. <laughs> yeah, whether you stay in the job or continue with disordered behaviours, like or the drink, whatever the thing is that is causing you that pain and discomfort that you're, you know, all of that. It's creating that awareness and then being intentional. So it doesn't have to be some, you know, breaking your hand or getting fired or getting really, really sick or, you know, really like multiple, struggling with multiple eating disorders. Like it's never too soon to take a look at your life and take intentional action. And because it, you'll never regret that. You'll never regret creating awareness about what's going on, who you are, and then living from that instead of what you think you should be or from past stories that, you know, were there to protect you. Like I would say self-sabotage or self-protection, yeah. but might not always be serving you anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's exactly right. And often the thing that stops people from asking the difficult questions of themselves is fear that when they get the answer, they're going to have to take action that they're petrified of. And what I, what a concept I find is very helpful to my clients and, and that I'll share is that asking yourself the question and realising the answer does not, does not have to commit you to taking that dramatic action. So, for example, through the work I do, people sometimes, often, have a realisation that they are deeply misaligned to the work they are currently doing. And, you know, it takes a bit of a supportive process to have them able to really admit that to themselves. And the way we do that is by saying, okay, that doesn't mean you have to leave tomorrow. It is incredibly liberating to realise I am actually off the bus, but it doesn't mean I have to get off the bus immediately. You know, my heart has left the building. I'm now clear. I've got to get a plan to leave. But it doesn't mean you have to go instantly. And actually being able to then construct a way of being that allows you to cope better with the present moment reality, use it to build your resilience and resourcefulness, use it to learn about yourself, use it to learn about rising to challenging difficult circumstances whilst really understanding what your other options are and exploring those. And maybe sometimes... And I, and I have had this happen on rare occasion, making the choice I am going to stay here. Happens very rarely, but it does sometimes happen. But now I know why I'm going to stay here and realising the why allows me to cope with it and detach from the painful emotion I was experiencing. So, you know, for example, I, I had a client and to me, all I was thinking is, why are you still there? Because everything she told me about it, I was thinking, you know, it seemed clear that there was misalignment. I discovered shortly after I worked together that she was pregnant. Mm. And for her, it it made perfect sense not to make the leap yet. But the process of realising she was in misalignment and was being undervalued was so helpful and important. And to explore, what if I did make the choice to leave? What would be the consequences of that? And to conclude that actually, no, I'm going to stay. I'm only going to stay for a while, you know, because her priorities and values were shifted because of the fact that she was pregnant, as I discovered later. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's just contacted me recently to tell me that she's moving on up, you know, so so things are changing. So, yeah, it's asking the difficult questions and realising where you are at doesn't mean you have to kind of 
impulsively, you know, mm-hmm. swear at your boss and leave. You can take considered action and being clear on your choices is such a powerful thing. It's so empowering. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean you have to do the terrifying thing, mm-hmm. which I think is what people are scared of. Yeah. You know? For sure, for sure. So, before I ask my last question to y'all, theme of this podcast, Wang and Unhappy, what makes you happy? Singing, music. Oh. Yes. It's, uh, makes me it's funny it's my absolute alignment space and I don't do enough of it um but I'm basically because I live in rural Ireland I've always sung in bands and it's really hard because of the low population density where I live now to put band together so I am revisiting learning piano which is something I did age 10 um and I play the guitar a little bit as well and my intention is to bring myself up to a standard I'm quite musical naturally that I can be my own accompanist accompanist one woman band one woman band so that I can just do a little bit of local performance because I love Love the effect that my voice appears to have on people when I sing it's Mm. really amazing okay well I have not heard you sing yet so we'll just pencil that in nice karaoke night okay on roof terrace Victorious do karaoke. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, so where can people find you? Everything and everything I said before, you know, everything we talked about, like the quiz and all that will be in the show notes below. But where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find me at thesuccesssmith.com. It's one more S than you're expecting. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Dr. Victoria Stakelum. I'm in all the usual socials. You can track me down either by Googling Victoria Stakelum or the Success Smith. And I do aim to make lots of free resources available to people so for example the app is available if you google the success myth in the app store or google play store you can download the app get lots of useful resources specifically on confidence and also um sort of have a dabble in some of the other things that are available so amazing yeah everything below in the show notes and just thank you so much again for this lovely conversation my pleasure and you guys heard it here first we are now forming a band called victoria squared thank you all. <laughs> i can't wait Thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you loved it as much as I did, I invite you to please rate and review. It really does mean the world to me and only takes just a few seconds. Having these reviews helps me to get even more incredible guests just like today. So I please, please, please ask you to do a quick review right now. In addition to that, I would love for you to follow me over on Instagram. That is at Victoria Evans Official. Please send me a message letting me know what you thought of this episode, as well as if you have any other types of guests you'd love to have on the show. I'm also over on TikTok. That is at Intuitive Eating with Vic. Vic is spelled V-I-C. In addition to that, if you're curious to learn more about my signature 90 Days to Food Freedom one-on-one coaching program, I invite you to book a free consult call on Calendly. That is www.calendly.com forward slash Victoria Evans forward slash 30 minutes. And again, all this will be below for you in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I hope you have a fabulous day. Bye-bye.